0: The following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show to find out more, contact us, and contribute towards a positive future. So you're with Community Radio X. you're with Behind the Lines, you're with Scotty, and I'm sitting in the middle of a, uh, of a market garden in the middle of Melbourne, of all places. We're at the, uh, the Series Environmental Park. Uh, I'm talking with Sita Beckwith, who is the communications coordinator for Ceres. G'day Sita, how are you?
1: Hi Scotty, I'm good, thanks.
0: Yeah, nice one. Just here the wind noise got a bit bad, so uh, we'll just read out what Sita said. We like to start the tours here because you can see most of Ceres from here. We've got four and a half hectares on this main piece of land. We were established in 1982. In the late 70s, this was a derelict wasteland area It was a bluestone quarry established in the 1800s, so they dug a great big hole. Then they filled it with people's rubbish until about the 60s, and it had been a cement works, and in the 1970s it was capped, and obviously it had been very polluted in all that time. You can see and hear the old golf course across the creek with all of the building work as they turned it into apartments. Back in the 70s and early 80s, none of these trees were here, so pretty much all of these trees were planted by our community sometime in the last 35 or so years. Scotty. Maybe we should at this point describe where we are as we don't have the camera with us. I'm standing on a little headlandy thing, for want of a better description, and we're looking down over the Merry Creek. It's beautiful. There's reeds in the creek and I can see a few different types of water plants down there. Growing up and down the creek there's trees and shrubs which look around 20 years old. The major thing looking out here is the power lines. Are the power lines the reason it hasn't been built on? CETA. A lot of people when they take photos from the farm say the power lines but I actually like them because we're in an urban farm and that is the nature of an urban environment. If these power lines weren't here we would not be here either. It would be even more hipstified. And the creek Meri means rocky and in the local Wurundjeri language whose land we're on here if something is very something they say it twice. So the traditional name for the creek is Merry Merry, because it is very rocky. Merry meaning rocky, and Merry Merry means very rocky. We're sort of nestled in a curve of the creek here. series starts from that power line over there and then it curves out and around the back there you can see a lot of our educational areas. Down the back there we have our cultural villages, which are part of our education program. These days we're we're known for our environmental education, but a part of that program is also cultural education. So we we have an African village set up and an Indonesian village and we have an indigenous teaching shelter set up which is that building with the leaf shape.
1: Then we have our registered organic farm down here which we have 200 laying chickens as part of our farm Um, and we have a propagation area which is one of our mini social enterprises that we run. Um, Then behind that there's a nature play playground you can't see it behind the trees. There is the original Alternative Technology Association building, which is a really unusual oh, shape. Oh, I can
0: see the little brick wall yeah. there. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> we have the red train, which is an old train carriage delivered sometime in the 90s, I believe. Um, it's had various purposes. At the moment, we use it as a classroom. Then next to that, we've got the community gardens. So they're individually managed plots, and they were actually one of the original parts of series. We have just undertaken a um, lengthy consultation process to get those redesigned so they're a bit more accessible to visitors, Um, but they still look pretty rambling and shambolic and that's quite attractive these days anyway.
0: (laughs) Then hidden behind those trees over there, we have a dam and we have what we call the spiritual hub of Ceres. There's a building there that's used for yoga and meditation groups. We've got Zen meditation, insight meditation, and we've even got the eco-feminist branch of the Uniting Church and we're developing a meditation garden out the front of that building at the moment. Then behind there we have the Eco House, which has just become zero emissions. It has been a demonstration of green technology since it arrived in the early 90s, and we've recently transitioned it away from gas, and had additional solar panels put on the roof, and a battery storage unit, and a whole bunch of energy-saving technology, so that it's now proudly zero emissions. Then behind that we have our nursery which is one of our most successful social enterprises. People count social enterprises differently but we run at least 9 different social enterprises and the nursery is our most financially successful one. They focus on bush foods as backyard produce. Then down here we have our grocery store. They sell organic fruit and veg and grocery items. They have a mini cafe there and a play area for all of the kids who come through. Here we've got our staff offices and underneath that are the meeting spaces which are hired out by external groups. Then we have the cafe which is very popular and underneath that is a community kitchen which is used by various groups for their programs. It's also used by our asylum seeker program for Tamil refugees. We also have a restaurant, another of our popular things. What you can't see from here is about two kilometers further along the creek, we have another market garden which is Melbourne's longest continuously running market garden, been there for 150 years. We grow a whole lot of produce up there which we sell in our Fair Food boxes. Ceres Fair Food is our online fruit and veg box delivery scheme which delivers to around a thousand households a week. They used to be located at Ceres and they got too big. So you can see you have a whole bunch of people who use Ceres for their own purposes. So what does Ceres stand for?
1: Uh, even our staff struggle with remembering what it stands for. So it stands for the... Uh, see, I'm going to forget now because I haven't said it for so long. And I've been here for eight years. <laughs> um, it's, um, Ceres is a reference to the Roman goddess of agriculture, of course.
0: Ah,
2: very good. Um,
1: but we, it also stands for the Centre for Education and Research in Environmental Strategies. But generally we're just known as Ceres or Ceres Community Environment Park. Series is um, we're 95% self funded through our social enterprises, and so money is usually tight. Um, we sort of moved away from being reliant on grants and funding because they're you know partly at the whims of government if we're being get going for those sorts of grants, um, and also it's just much more reliable source of income. and We're not tied to how we use the money if we're generating it ourselves, um, and so. It's kind of like an ecosystem of different things. We've got all of these social enterprises and we've got all of the educational programs that we run, which are also income generating for us. Um, and the farm at the moment I believe is not making any money but so long as it doesn't make a loss we're happy with that Um, so yeah we're always on the lookout still for grants and funding to put into projects so that we can do research and development into different things like for instance the food forest is a good example on the farm like there's been a design done for it but we haven't had enough capacity or time or money to really invest in developing it to where it should be Um, So that's the sort of thing that we would look for a grant to support the establishment of the food farm. But like Caitlin mentioned, we have a lot of support through volunteers. So last year alone I think we had around two and a half thousand volunteers come through.
0: Wow. So is that individuals or site visits?
1: A bit of both and it's not just here on the farm. So the volunteers, they work on the farm, they work in the little propagation area growing seedlings and they also help with maintenance um, projects around the site. Um, And we also have professional volunteers doing things like design and development and all that kind of stuff. So it's a mix. Some groups of people like the corporate volunteers that Caitlin mentioned and some individuals, we call them community volunteers, who might come one day a week for three months or something like that.
0: When did series happen? It looked like it's been here forever.
1: Well, we're quite old now, I guess. Um, So we were established in 1982. Um, It was established by a group of people who were doing a work for the Dole scheme at the time. Uh uh, And they approached the council, they'd seen this piece of land here, which was derelict wasteland. Um, It had been a bluestone quarry in the 1800s with early settlers. Then it had been a rubbish tip and this area was very industrial, high levels of unemployment, um, lots of factories in the area and lots of pollution and with those massive power lines that we've got running through the middle of the park. um, Council hadn't done anything with the land. Group approached the Brunswick council and said can we grow some veggies on the land Um, and set up a recycling scheme and so council said yeah. So that's how we started.
0: Yeah right so I guess uh, there wouldn't have been any buildings on the site then?
1: There was a few small buildings so there's the original quarry master's hut which is still here. Um, and yeah, not many buildings. They set up some stables because they had the idea to have quite a few animals in the f- first instance, um, but, yeah, not many buildings and no trees.
0: No trees. Well, that's looking fairly different now. Um, there's trees all over the place. You can hardly see the ground yeah. <laughs> for all the buildings and trees. That's right. Your purpose on your website is, mm-hmm. is to protect enhance, and enhance the environment by building a place for community learning and action.
1: We've actually updated that recently. So that is still our purpose. So we're a community-based organisation which we consist of members, and and we're a charity. And so that's part of our statement around why we exist. So we do exist to protect and enhance the natural environment, including by providing education around climate change, etc., cetera. Um, but it's a little awkward to say that. And so <laughs> we have had a lot of discussion over many years about why we exist, what are we here for, Um, and because we do so many different things including education, social enterprise and being a community space it's really hard to articulate that in less than 15 minutes so we came up with this statement about a year and a half ago our CEO came up with it and she says we exist to help people fall in love with the earth again Um, and people really love that I love that Um, and I think it really ties together the why we do the things that we do it's kind of our theory of change as an organisation, is that transformation begins with personal transformation and it's based on relationship, so relationship with each other um, and relationship with the earth. So that's why we really have that emphasis on love.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's a, it's a poetic sort of grounding yeah. for the place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It
1: is, yeah. yeah. So since those early days, would you like me to speak a little bit more about where we're at now? Yeah,
0: go for
1: it. So, um, Since that first group came together to try and solve the unemployment and grow veggies, um, we're now Victoria's largest deliverer of environmental education. So we get around 60,000 or more school visits to our park every year. Um, (laughs) We also take our programs into schools and we work with schools on their um, environmental sustainability, so helping them save energy, waste, water, etc
0: why have you focused on schools so much
1: uh well we haven't so that's just one part of the education that we do well initially though we started with schools because we looked around at the schools in the local area the kids didn't really have much to do they weren't really going on excursions low socioeconomic area and um we invited local schools to come and check out what was happening so we had worm farms and we had you know weird new examples of solar panels and kids got to run around outside instead of being in classrooms all day um and so you know and the future is the kids so i think there's very much that environmentalist mindset and inviting kids to see new ways of being back then Um, but right now we do adult education as well we run permaculture courses we do kitchen garden workshops for adults Um, we have a whole bunch of accredited and non-accredited training programs
0: yeah yeah so how many um how many paid positions do you have here
1: uh we have around i think it's about 160 paid staff full-time equivalent so we have more staff but full-time equivalent we have around 160.
0: 160 Mm. that's really quite big yeah 160 full-time equivalents wow that's very impressive yeah yeah
1: so a lot of those would be casual staff that work in our different enterprises so in the cafe or over at the Fair Food Warehouse um, or in the grocery and nursery on site.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, so it's really quite a a bustling metropolis here. (laughs) Yes. We
1: still couldn't do what we do without all of our volunteers, though, which um, are community and um,
0: corporate. I don't think how many volunteers you have. How many volunteers do you have?
1: So, <laughs> last year, and I know this because I just counted for our annual report, um, we have had around 2,500 volunteers
0: last year. Wow, so that's pretty impressive, and I guess that's why the place looks uh, so little like a, uh, a flat, barren wasteland. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> There's all sorts of work going into it. Um so you you split up into a bunch of cuz you you do all sorts of stuff here there's, there's some major group areas so education mm-hmm. we've covered a little bit of yeah um another one is is well before we go there let's have a look at community cuz mm-hmm. i reckon community's a Why did you go into
1: community? Well, I think we started from community, and we are community. Um, We're free to enter. Um, People can come visit us all the time. Um, And I think that's a really great resource to reconnect people to nature. and their place so a lot of this area there's not a lot of green spaces or pe- spaces that are free that people can come and wander around um, so I think we exist so that people can come here and do what they want to do we don't try and control all of the outcomes that happen in our park we just want it to be um, a place of refuge um, and a place of potential transformation for people um, and I think when we say we want to fall in love with the earth again that includes falling in
0: love with each other I think people yeah. are indeed a yeah. part of the earth <laughs> that's right
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so yeah i don't think we went into community but i think we just we um we are our community i think um there's a lot of different groups that use the park too we don't run everything that's on here so we have a bunch of spiritual groups that use the space we have a bike workshop Um, We have an urban orchard, we've got a beekeeping group Um, and we don't manage those groups ourselves. We let other people come in and use our space and do their own.
0: Yeah, and can they come in and just use it for free, or is there a fee to it? Or? It
1: varies depending yeah. on what they want to do. Um, we're very bespoke in our approach to all of these things. <laughs> so if somebody's offering something for free for the community, then we're less likely to charge them because then there's that flow on and then there's an exchange there. Um, but we also have more corporate-style meeting rooms where people might be delivering workshops or you know, if they're charging to do some sort of... Um, Uh, You know, wellness workshop or something like that in our spaces and we would charge them to use the space Um, and hiring out our space considering we're free is a really good income stream for us and we have a lot of community events so it's a really good opportunity to seasonally we bring people together to celebrate, so we have the Winter Solstice Festival which is usually a big bonfire and we have food and mulled wine and music, our Harvest Festival is massive, we usually get a couple of thousand people to that to celebrate food around different cultures and yeah there's a lot of community
0: yeah things. right so run us through some of the groups that, um, that are using the place uh, so the
1: bike shed yeah, yeah. Um, the bike shed's very popular people when I say that I work at Ceres they say is Ceres still located at the bike shed <laughs> um, <laughs> so you can build a bike for almost no money they sell parts and the idea is that they don't fix the bike for you um, they would teach you how to fix your own bike so it's about upskilling um, so bike sheds here on the weekend they're staffed by volunteers they're very popular Um, We have, in terms of spiritual groups, we have um, the eco-feminist branch of the Uniting Church, the Melbourne Zen Group, Insight Meditation Group, Shambhala Meditation, Um, there's a Japanese cultural group, there's the Sweat Lodge, a traditional um, Native American Sweat Lodge, (laughs) which is hidden away in a corner over there, and we're starting to get a lot of people doing rewilding-type workshops or nature play workshops for kids in school holidays. Um, in terms of gardening, we've got the bee group, the urban orchard, um, I'm probably missing a whole bunch of people, which I should know. And we have a very popular kids' music class, which is on-site almost every morning.
0: Now, you've also got uh, a whole ton of, um, of social enterprises as well. Yes. So what, what's the How would you define a social enterprise in, in this series context?
1: Um, social enterprises are a, a business that are run um, for a social benefit as well as a financial benefit um, and so we have a whole different collection of them. We've always run them but we haven't always termed them social enterprise. So the first one that we set up was probably the cafe because those kids that were coming to visit for their school excursions in the early days needed something to eat. And so someone rescued an oven from hard rubbish and then started <laughs> making sausage rolls and selling them to the kids, which probably would not be legal these days. Um, and But we quickly realised that we didn't want to be reliant on... Uh, funding, grants, things like that. We still do apply for them and we still need them very much to develop what we're doing, but it's just much better for us to be earning money and having a social um, and environmental positive outcome at the same time. So we have a plant nursery, um, a grocery which we visited, um, off site. we have an, the online fruit and veg box delivery system, we have the cafe. The propagation here, they um, grow propagate seedlings um, which they sell internally to the nursery but they also sell off site. Meg and her volunteers have propagated 34 different varieties of heirloom tomatoes. Um, which I believe is a huge number of varieties. Hello.
0: That is. That's pretty good. Are they all self-saved the seeds yep, as well?
1: They are. Yep. Meg saves them every year um, from her crop from the previous year. Wow. So I think we're well known for our tomatoes. Mm. We're having a celebration in our nursery soon about planting season, um, which is now, I guess.
0: Mm. Mm. Sure is. They're looking great. They these are. little seedlings. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> We need to start with this nippering again because... Okay, well we can move.
0: Yeah, okay. alright. Cool. Thanks. she you got some good sleepers there too.
1: I don't even <laughs> Those sleepers have been, been stuck up there for about three years. Oh wow. Um, we had a bit of an issue with our previous farmer he just wasn't he'd been here for years and years and years and he's sort of he's managing the gardens but he also was looking after we have a lot of um adults with learning disabilities okay. which are part of our programs here and he also managed them i think he's much more engaged with them than he was in the actual farm so sometimes stuff just would go to seed wouldn't get harvested and all of that kind of stuff
3: mm-hmm. and he
1: was never like sociable um sort of public persona and so we just recruited caitlin as a young urban farmer that will hopefully engage the community much more with what's happening on the farm so yeah, she's only been great. here a few months but uh, she's got ideas but big ideas for lots of stuff events and all that kind of stuff she's only been here three months and she's already managed to get the sleepers like so she's just started laying <laughs> beds today which has been the plan for years
0: <laughs> brought out the chainsaw and straight into it beautiful Yeah. Nice. so
1: she's she's a doer
0: always good um, to get things moving eh? Yeah. Yeah, so Caitlin, you're running the uh, the market garden here?
2: Yep, yeah, I'm the new market farmer here at Sirius. Yeah, yep. cool.
0: Yep. Ooh, how big is the uh, the land that you're managing?
2: Um, the growing... Well, the space is about half an acre, but it's probably a lot less that's in cultivated yeah. beds. I actually don't know in square metres. It's okay, pretty small good. though. Yeah. And really right. micro, yeah, yeah. yep.
0: Yeah, so it's size a big backyard.
2: Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> Yeah.
0: yeah, well you can get quite a lot of veg out of the big backyard.
2: Yeah, so yeah you can.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. how much do you tend to pump out?
2: Um, here we're, um, we're selling uh, quite a lot, probably like 20 crates of veg of all different sorts to the grocery and cafe every week. Um, a mix of yeah, cutting greens, herbs, radishes. Um, some fruit We've got a few fruit trees as well. Yeah, and but that's just increasing I've just been here for a few months, and I'm just really trying to pump up production So it's yeah. just bigger every week.
0: Yeah, nice one. Nice one. So um, <laughs> Do you get frost here or anything like that? I'm from um,
2: Canberra. Yeah <laughs> um, A little like um, This particular part of the series site has been pretty safe. We had a I um, a frost that killed a few seedlings, even in the greenhouse actually, but the farm bit was actually fine. Somehow we're, I think because of the hill, this little microclimate is fine. You're pretty lucky.
0: Yeah, so how many people do you have working the farm?
2: Um, it's just me, yep. um, and then I have a crew of volunteers who come in every Friday, um, about 10 people, yeah, um, wow. and I had some volunteers today, that's why I've got staff members who were helping me with the volunteers. Um. And then I get groups of corporate volunteers as well. So people come in for their... Um... What's a corporate volunteer? <laughs> They're people who come from big companies for a kind of team building day, working for a good cause out of the office. And they love it. They just got so much work done this morning. <laughs> mm,
0: that sounds like a good luck to get on to. Yeah. 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 They might have to be sort of organised amongst
2: themselves. They were so organised. The team this morning were all project managers and they got <laughs> so they were initiating new tasks. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, so how do you find the volunteers to manage? I guess you've...
2: Um, good. Like, I've worked a bit with volunteers before, like a few woofers and interns. Um, the community volunteers in particular are really amazing, passionate about growing either just want to get some more skills for their home garden or don't have a garden and want some of that experience or yep. people who um, might have dreams of farming in the future. So I really like kind of tailoring the work to make sure everyone is getting something out of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Fantastic. yeah.
2: fantastic. And, yeah, it's a valuable opportunity for people in the city to have access to, I think. so.
0: Um, Does all of your projects go, produce go up to the... Uh, the, uh, veggie sugar
2: store? Yeah, there. yeah, everything's sold on site. It's both going to the grocery, um, which is just at the uh, top of the hill, about ten meters from the top of the farm, um, and also to the cafe on site, and that's it. They take everything I've got between those two markets, which is awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Really
2: handy, isn't <laughs> yeah. It? yeah. Don't have to do any marketing. Yeah. It's just
0: Talk about low carbon footprint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you? Um, how often do you harvest?
2: Uh, twice, a week. twice yep. a week we're doing some harvest now actually for yep. the cafe yep. yeah
0: yep. yeah so that's all really quite fresh on site all the super stuff, fresh yeah. yeah and
2: the eggs as well from the chickens which I also manage they go into the grocery store every day so mm. they're just like hours old yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: nice one yep. and um, do you use the chickens in the garden at
2: all um, not in here but um, the chickens are in a food forest so um, this Plot that we're in right now is the intensive veggie beds but we've got quite a lot of fruit trees um, some nuts and a f- bit of understory and i really um, have plans for expanded production in there with the chickens yep. yeah great yep.
0: yeah oh well if you're not already you'll get great at fencing <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah yeah there's a lot of fences in there actually from the original design oh, perfect. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah all right anything else you'd like to add about um, the gardens
2: oh. Come visit if you're in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah,
0: Thank you very much.
2: No worries. <laughs> it
1: was just open on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, and now it's open seven days a week, nine to five. Um, we have a lot of local musicians that play here still on Wednesdays and on the weekends. Um, and it's good because we have all of this, you know, kids can play in the sandpit while parents do their shopping. Yeah, it's we great. specialise in bulk foods.
0: So there's a um, nice uh, nice open post and beam building and there's a nice well, sort of
1: stables originally. Flat in, oh, there's, okay. there's been a pig that lives in there. Um, <laughs>
0: there's
1: been, oh uh, yeah, a few different... We had more animals back in the day. Yep. And we don't have, we've only got the chickens
0: now. Yeah, right. but yeah, there's a little sand pit in the middle. There's kids running around all over the place. There's With people the hanging the about, room. brush cutting down in the gardens bit of techno coming out of the veggie <laughs> shop yeah
3: so
1: a lot of people ask us if all of the produce that we sell um, is grown at series without really looking into you know the fact that we sell bananas um, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff yep. so i use it often if people ask me that question as a educational opportunity and one time i did try and calculate the number of customers we have here and the types of things they were buying, how much land we would require to service our customers. We'd need 40 series, another 40, we need about 41. Uh, Mm. So we don't have enough space. So I think it's good for people to, people are quite disconnected in the city from where their food comes from, um, how much space it takes, what's in the season, um, even how things are grown when they're harvested. Um, So we try and do a, a lot of education around that stuff. But for in the grocery itself, it's a bit of a mix of things. We have to, like the bananas come from Queensland. Um, so it's a sort of fine balance between doing business. <laughs> you know this lady. <laughs> I do. Hey
0: Lucy, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah,
1: good. Yeah. And you can talk to Lucy yeah. about yeah. the grocery instead of me.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. On.
0: Cool. <laughs> so we're here in, in the, the series Veggie Store and we're talking with Lucy.
3: Hi, how are you going?
0: Good. Can you just run us through here? What, what's going on here? What
3: sort um, of stuff do we have? So, this is a organic fresh fruit and veg um, grocery, as well as dry goods. Um, we have a lot of local produce. So, we have uh, eggs that are from on site. We also have produce that is grown on site. Um, and we also have a cafe with delicious food and coffee. Yeah.
0: Hey, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful got a few,
3: uh, few teas. And we do. Various hippie sort of things. Yep, a lot of yep. hippie stuff. Yeah, um, beautiful. Yeah, teas, uh, things like keep cups or well maybe I shouldn't say brand. Um, cups that are, are reusable, reusable things to reduce waste. Yeah, um, we don't use plastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: fun you got a few other things there. I've some t-shirts and maybe some washing up liquid sort of stuff. Yep. So you're just carrying lines of all sorts of stuff that's done in the right way, eh?
3: Yep. Totally. Yep. All of the sort of, I guess, low chemical and sustainable, sustainably sourced. I think the t-shirts are made of bamboo. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for showing us around. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want... What's that for? Is that for?
0: Yeah, Two double yeah, oh, cool. Yep. yep. Aww, awesome. So, what brought Series towards doing social enterprise?
1: Um, I think a few different things. One was a desire to be financially self-sufficient. I guess we're focused on self-sufficiency. Why not financially as well? Um, I think that's probably the main driving reason. And You know grants are so changeable depending on governments or um, you know we used to be able to apply for really big arts grants to deliver big community festivals and those sorts of things just don't even really exist anymore Uh, so it's just better for us to run businesses ethically um, that also have a financial benefit for series we run a few different types of social enterprises though so some of them uh, very much aimed at generating a profit that supports the greater work of series, whereas some of them the beneficiary is instead the participants in the program instead of series itself. So we have like for instance the Tamil feasts program, which is the cooking program for asylum seekers. Um, they're a group of Tamil men who were in asylum for six uh, in detention for six years. Um, we have a program with those guys. They cook three nights a week. We have a lot of volunteers that support that program. It doesn't really make a profit. Like, they get paid really well, it's a job for them, um, but the beneficiaries are the men. Um, and there's obviously flow on effects that are positive about opening up conversations about asylum seekers, that kind of thing.
0: Building community.
1: Yeah, all of that. Um, Whereas something like the nursery um, is very profitable for us. So the nursery still has the benefit of providing people with food plants and bush foods and knowledge about how to grow things themselves, but it also brings um, in the greater series um, good um, financial benefit.
0: Yeah, so who's employed in the uh, in the social enterprises? Is, is there a lot of local employment for the
1: Yeah, so I think we're still, because we were founded on that work for the Dole Scheme, I think there still is that focus on um, employment that's fulfilling for workers and um, that they are, you know, connected to, connected to each other. We build community as much as we can in our workforce. Um, So... Yeah, each of the different enterprises has a manager who's responsible for the financial success of their area, with support from the Greater Series um, Finance Team, etc., um, and employing their own staff. Some of the areas, like Fair Food, they have a real emphasis on employing former asylum seekers, um, and that's because um, Chris, who's the manager of Fair Food has found that those sorts of they're on a factory line they're sorting things so the English levels are not necessarily an issue and his theory is if they've survived war in their home countries generally, six years in detention a really dangerous travel. they're hard workers, they're committed. they are good for business in one way. So um, he says it's purely a business decision to employ. <laughs> um, asylum seekers, um, but I think it also creates good community and social equity, which you know is very much part of what Series aims to do. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um... We turn over um, thirteen million dollars as a whole.
2: Yeah, which is right. a big turnover yeah,
1: um, yeah. but the bottom line at the end of the year is not a lot but I think if you think about it in terms of how much money is reinvested into the local economy um, I would say we're excellent um, for Moorland and the local area most people live locally, ride their bikes to work um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then are spending money in
0: um, you know local businesses So I guess with 160 full-time equivalents mm. most of that would go to wages as well
1: that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It, there's a travel service. Ah yes, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a
1: little there about is. That. I don't know if I'd like to be described as a travel service. But, um,
0: <laughs> so <A> travel mob. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, they're called Series Global, um, and they do international exchange trips. Um, they individuals can sign up and go. Um, they also work with universities. Um, And they have been established over a long period of time. They started off just going to India. So one of the founders of Ceres had a long-term relationship with a remote tribal village in Maharashtra in India um, and wanted to bring people from Australia over to India to do a cultural exchange, and he would go back every year. Um, But since then, it's grown. So in India, we take groups of IT students um, students from Swinburne. Um, They do a program called... um, IT for social impact, Um, but they work with kids in the red light district. There's a sustainable housing project um, in India. In in India alone, there's many things going on. But we also now go to Arnhem Land, which is probably one of our most popular trips. We learn basket weaving from the grandmothers' um, elders up there. Um, We go to East Timor, Cuba, Samoa. um, There's a bunch of places we go. (laughs) And I think originally it was more um how could we um as a wealthy um well-educated nation of people go and help people in other countries i think that was probably more how it was viewed whereas these days if you go to india i would say they're miles ahead of australia in terms of what they're doing with alternative technology so it's much more of an exchange these days Um, yeah we learn a lot
0: from going on those trips Mm -hmm. So fair food. Can you just unpack fair food? Of we've mentioned it once or twice, but uh, what's going on with that one? So
1: fair food started as a like just a small box scheme for staff. So when we were going to the wholesale market for the grocery here, we were like, can series staff who are generally on low, low wages and work part time, can we get? um fruit and veg at wholesale prices and we could. So we set it up once a week. We'd have the staff fruit and veg box scheme. You'd pay your however it was and get your box of veggies. Um, but then they grew to expand um and they set up a thing called food hosts. So they would buy wholesale food and it's all mixed boxes of fruit and veg for a whole bunch of reasons. You don't choose, you just get what's seasonally available. Um, And they would be delivered at a food host house. So once a week, you could go to your local food host and pick up your box. Um, But now they've expanded into delivery as well, which they carbon offset with all of the delivery driving. Um, And so they've just grown from strength to strength, really. People are really into the idea of supporting local farmers, organic fruit and veg, um the food hosts is still popular as well people like that sense of community going to someone's house picking up your veg box having a yarn um but i think the convenience of having your box delivered is good in this day and age as well um and so yeah they've outgrown us massively in terms of space they have a big warehouse now in preston um delivered to around a thousand households a week um, and they're almost half of our total turnover as a business. Yeah, right. So they're doing really well. And they've recently expanded to set up Fairwood. So Fairwood is a new social enterprise. So they're supporting um, sustainable forestry and sustainable okay. timber.
0: Mm. Yeah. Are they doing wood recycling? Yeah. Um. That's a whole business in itself.
1: I don't think that's their focus. I think their focus is on supporting people who are growing trees and sourcing timber from people who are doing sustainable forestry Mm, because I understand that the forestry industry and certification in Australia is not that amazing, I think. Mm. It's not my area, but um, people are really interested in this. Fairwood only just started, but they have a lot of orders already. Very interesting, Mm.
0: very interesting. Yeah, so they're sourcing their food from local organic farmers?
1: Yeah, it's a combination. So they they will go to the wholesale market and buy from the organic suppliers at the wholesale market, but they also have long-running, established relationships with a whole bunch of different farmers which have been established over many years. Um, Our local, uh, we also have a bit of land... And which is uh, Melbourne's longest continuously farmed market garden, just along the creek from Ceres. It's about two acres, I think. Um, and so they supply all of their all of their produce goes to Fair Food up there.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, now on your website, you, you call yourself a a not for loss. Yeah
1: community business community
0: here. business <laughs> what's the what's the background um, that point?
1: I think there's a lot of really awkward statements on our <laughs> website about what we do as a communications manager I should probably I don't know adjust some of them I think it was trying to break away from the concept of not-for-profit which was I think people think of an NGO they think of people looking for grants donations handouts And I think at the time that we made that statement up, um, we were very much wanting to emphasise what we were doing in terms of social enterprise, new economic models, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, does that make sense?
0: It does, (laughs) yeah. It's a different way of framing it rather than using the... The profit as your central thing. That's not right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Go I on. think also, because we, with our enterprises, we do want to make a profit. <laughs> so we want our nursery and our cafe and our grocery to be making a profit, which gets reinvested in series, looking after the land, supporting our community in a whole bunch of ways which aren't focused around profit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you've got all these things going on. there's there's 160 people and thousands of volunteers running through the place all the time a bunch of school kids trampling around the place chickens all over how does this whole mess of things sort of get get made into a coherent whole is there is there like a central plan or
1: Mm, well i think our ceo cinnamon is very skilled um and i think she has she's Uh, worked here for more than 20 years Um, she started off as a teacher in our education program and i think she very much holds the vision of series as um this kind of ecosystem of education uh new economy um and being a community place um that's full of heart i think she's the holder of our vision um But in terms of how it all works, we have no idea. We have this conversation amongst ourselves all the time. And there's so many competing priorities um, that where to put your attention can be very difficult. Um, I think it's a... um, I think it's an indicator that we're really alive. That there's so much happening all of the time, Um, but it's. I just think of it like an organism. Like I don't know, is your brain really in control of your body to some degree? Um, But no, there's all kinds of other things that go on as well. And I think series is like a kind of not sitting
0: there thinking breathe. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. So I think it's a fine line between being. Having an understanding and having control of things that happen and then letting things, I don't know, there's no life without chaos, is there?
0: Yeah, it's all part. Yeah. <laughs> with, your, with your social enterprises, how are they sort of structured within themselves? Are they like little associations or are they sort of co-ops or?
1: Um, I don't know if I can answer this question well. Mm. Um, we just have one central accounting system at Ceres. Um, and so we just have different accounting lines okay. for, for that. So we're just a not-for-profit so a series organisation. Is the business
0: with multiple enterprises yeah,
1: within it. Yeah, we're okay. an incorporated association and those enterprises come into the umbrella incorporated. They're not individual businesses um, at okay. this stage.
0: And does that give benefits to the individual enterprises in that someone might notice if things are going awry? Yeah, or?
1: so I think... It, I think for the enterprise managers, it can be a double-edged sword that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think they get a lot of support from... So in terms of they have finances, um, you know, it's a centralised system if people want to order stationery or um, it, there's a lot... And uh, management support, there's a lot of support provided for the different area managers, which you may not get if you are just an individual... Um, Enterprise running by yourself. Marketing support is another one um, that's centralized. But I think things can be, not be so nimble. Things can be slow to achieve. I think there's sometimes a sense of frustration that someone that's running their own business can't just get something done like that. Um, our site team is another area of support for the whole organisation. So they're running, um, you know, construction projects and all different kinds of things. They're in charge of all the technology and maintenance. So you might just have a simple maintenance request and it might be all like it takes a really long time to get done. Um, But at the same time, you're not having to spend it. And they don't have to pay rent either, the enterprises. So (laughs) there's, you know, benefits and not so much benefits.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, great. Um, Okay, was there anything else you'd like to add before we wind up?
1: Um. It's funny, like, I, um, I've i been at series a long time, so I often feel like I don't have that much of a perspective on it until someone outside of series comes in and asks me the question, and then I sort of struggle to answer because I'm so in it. Um, but I think it's just, it's kind of a miracle that series even exists, I think, Um and I can get bogged down in the day-to-day, like I look after the website, I'm doing the social media, I'm on the computer, it can just feel like another job in that way. But if I step outside the door and I see all of that chaos that we just talked about, <laughs> it's I mean, really, there's nothing, Not. it's so lucky to, to be able to work here um, and just see all that life and positivity and that feeling that people who gather here
0: really do have um, hope for a better future. Mm, I'd say you could say it's a a very good working example of a commons, isn't
1: it? It is. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it is. All right. So what's the website?
1: www.ceres.org.au All
0: right. Everybody get along and check it out. Uh, Cedar Beckwith from Ceres, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Scotty. So nice to talk to you.
0: You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-Ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia or NENA and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see xfmorgau where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCambra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects, and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.